Welcome to the Diamond Digest Fantasy Podcast, Episode 1. My name is Mick Callahan. I'll be your host this week. Along with me, I have Anthony Messonio, Ryan Rudy, and Griffin Meadows. Go ahead and uh, introduce yourself, guys. My name is Anthony Messonio, 18 years old. I've been doing fantasy for about five years now. Currently in about six leagues. So I like to think that's a little bit of experience. <laughs> Uh, I'm Ryan Rudy. I'm a high school senior. I have fairly limited uh, fantasy experience, uh, but I'm starting to get into it more now and uh, enjoy looking at uh, the profiles and learning about players you might not necessarily have heard of. Hey everyone, I'm Griffin Metters. I'm uh, 21. I'm from uh, Iowa State University. I've got about uh, seven or eight years on and off of fantasy baseball. Uh, but definitely ramped it up in the last couple of years as I've gotten older and kind of honed in on uh, what exactly fantasy baseball is. So. And as for myself, I've been playing fantasy baseball for about 10 years. I, over the last two or three seasons, I've gotten really into uh, playing Dynasty Leagues, and we'll be talking about Dynasty Leagues today. Uh, as for a little bit more about myself, I am a fourth-year student at Rochester Institute of Technology in Western New York, and working towards a degree in electrical engineering. Uh, so I guess, guys, let's get to it. Uh, earlier this week, uh, our fantasy crew here at Diamond Digest released our rankings for Dynasty League infielders. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about that today, uh, get some of your guys' insights on our rankings as a team and your individual rankings uh, among infielders, specifically some of your rankings that differ a little bit from our uh, final rankings as a team. Uh, so we'll start off with catchers. Uh, for those of you that haven't seen the article... Our top catchers, we'll go through the top five here. Uh, we got JT Realmuto, uh, currently with Miami Marlins. Who knows how much longer he'll stay there. Uh, Gary Sanchez, Wilson Contreras, Yasmani Grandal, and Wilson Ramos. Uh, let's kind of talk about a couple of the guys on the list here. I don't think it's really any surprise that JT Realmuto was the top choice from our team. He is by far and away the largest margin uh, between the number one and number two at any position we have. Uh, anything you guys want to say about Real Muto? It's pretty self-explanatory. I mean, best catcher in baseball, and it's not even really close. And just hopefully he can continues it going forward. Yeah, I, I think yeah. His, uh, his value is actually going to go up if he goes to a team with with more protection around him, who knows what he can do in a lineup like uh, in Los Angeles, who has most recently talked about uh, possibly trading for him. Who knows what the package would be. But I think if you put him in a lineup with people other than uh, Starlin Castro and whoever the Marlins find that day, uh, he might his value might go up, definitely. Absolutely, for sure. Yeah, and I think... You know, contrary to a lot of catchers who are either established offensively or defensively, and they're pretty one-dimensional, Real Mudo is is pretty solid on both sides of the ball, um, which is which is helpful to any team. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I really agree with the point that if he winds up uh, with another team in another situation where he's got other guys in the lineup around him, that'll really help out, especially with his fantasy value and even more so in leagues that actually reward RBIs, runs, and some of those stats that are kind of being viewed more as team stats, but some fantasy leagues still go along with them. Uh, so I'm going to ask you guys a couple questions about one or two of your picks at catchers. Uh, let's uh, talk to you, Anthony. Uh, you had Mike Zanino... Uh, ranked number 12 on your list. As a team, we voted him to be uh, number 7 overall catcher for Dynasty Leagues. He's a 28-year-old guy, still got some room to grow. He's joining a new team this year, so he might have a bit of a outbreak, or I'm sorry, a breakout uh, with the new environment and the new uh, group of guys around him down there in Tampa Bay, a real young upcoming team. And that's coming from a guy who finished between 12 and 15 in most leagues last year in terms of scoring as a catcher. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. It's tough because we, he's only had really had three full seasons behind the plate. And I mean, in all each of those three seasons, he's had 20 plus homers. And, I mean, I think the team context is definitely better in Tampa Bay than it is in Seattle. But I feel like the injuries weigh him down a little bit to the point where, like, I couldn't really rank him higher than 12. But he still needs to get the recognition that I think he deserves. And I would still take him in my leagues because, I mean, when I'm looking at catchers, I'm looking at outside of Rio Muto and Gary Sanchez, if you want to take – or even Wilson Contreras, if you want to take those guys in the top three, four rounds, I'm looking for guys who really won't hurt you. And, I mean – he might hurt you with injuries, but as long as he's healthy and on the field, he's really not going to hurt you too bad. You get a little bit of power. The team context is better this year, and the average isn't awful. Like, I mean, it's not great, but it's not going to kill you. Uh, and Griffin, on your list, you ranked Omar Narvaez, who uh, is still kind of coming out into the spotlight a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, last year, he was... Again, kind of in that uh, middle ground between 13 and 18 in most scoring systems as far as catchers go. And he's still only 27 years old, so he still might have some room to grow. What? And you were one of only three riders on our team to actually have him in your top 12. What do you see from him coming into uh, 2019 in the next couple seasons? Well, uh, you know, I think the trade to Seattle is going to really help him just because uh, he was kind of a placeholder for the White Sox. Um, and though, I mean, he, he only appeared in 97 games in 2018. Uh, he still put up solid numbers, hitting 275, OBP of 366. Um, but, I, I mean, that was partial time with Welling Castillo getting signed and then uh, having his ban and... Um, splitting time with uh, a couple other catchers like Kevin Smith. Uh, but I think with the Zanino trade going from the Mariners to the Rays and then the White Sox trading Narvaez to the Mariners, it'll give him more of a uh, chance to really uh, blossom into an everyday catcher. Uh, he's not definitely somebody who's going to be a uh, defensive wizard, but that's not important for fantasy uh, in most leagues. 
but I think he can continue to. He's he's not going to be a top five catcher, but I think if you're looking for some sort of maybe sleeper, definitely looking at him in later rounds. If you need a backup catcher or uh, it's a position you're not overly worried about because you think you can get production elsewhere, just because the catcher position is by far the weakest position uh, in the league, I think, uh, value wise. All right, and one more catcher I want to talk about real quick. Uh, Ryan, you had you were one of five guys to have Francisco Cervelli on your uh, top 12. You had him at number 11 on your list. Uh, he finished in, in between 5 and 10 uh, as far as catchers go last season. But he is 33 years old. He's starting to get up there in age. You might not know how much longer he has left in the league and even while he's in the league how long he'll stay at his current rate of production uh what made you keep him in your top 12 this season yeah well i think uh i mean you really covered a lot of where he's still valuable as a catcher i mean griffin mentioned that it's a really kind of sparse position there's not a whole lot of guys that will really be solid contributors to your team and Cervelli is definitely a top 10 catcher. He, uh, he was last year. Um, so he'll make an immediate impact, and he'll be one of the more valuable guys you can pick up in the short term. Um, also, even at 33 years old, you know, that's getting up there for a catcher, but he still has a solid year or two left in him. Um, you know, so even if, if you focus on other positions a little more early, Cervelli can definitely be a guy you pick up a little bit later in the draft for a guy that will... Um, for sure provide some value, at least in the short term. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to looking over at our first base rankings now. Uh, I think in our article, Jared did a great job of kind of describing where the first base position is currently with the MLB. Uh, where there's a lot of superstar veterans that are greatly established within the league and you have a lot of rising stars like Joey Gallo, Matt Olson, uh, Reese Hoskins and Cody Bellinger. Uh, and we actually wound up as a team saying that Freddie Freeman, I think we can all agree that he is probably, uh, the best first baseman in terms of a long-term option. Followed by two of those young studs, Bellinger and Hoskins, who Hoskins, while not great defensively, puts up stellar offensive numbers uh, throughout his time so far in the majors. Even in his first season, uh, came onto the it came onto the spotlight and really brought in a lot of attention with all the homers he was hitting his rookie season. Uh, that being said. Uh, Anthony, you were, I believe the only one of our riders who did not have Freeman ranked number one, you had Paul Goldschmidt. Yeah. Uh, and I, do you want to give some insight as to, uh, why you had him as number one over Freeman? Well, I mean, I was looking at both of them and I mean, it was kind of tough. I wound up with putting Freeman three with Bellinger kind of in the middle, like you were describing Bellinger before, it's hard to overlook that. But, I mean, looking at the production of Freeman, he's only 30, and, like, I understand people see 30 as, like, the breaking point for young guys, 
But, I mean, even at 30, you still get five to seven more years of solid, solid production. And, I mean, Paul Goldschmidt has constant, has consistently put up 30, hope 30-plus 30 homers and even put up 15-plus steals, which is very hard to find in a first baseman, hitting 290-plus. And I just I found it very hard, even in a dynasty format, getting that five to seven more years. The stolen bases might go down, but the average in homers, are, it's just I thought it was too much to pass up on. That's why I had him hot ranked higher than Freeman. Uh, and Ryan, you uh, showed a lot of love to Josh Bell in your rankings. You had him up at number eight in your rankings. Uh, you you were one of only two of our riders to give him a ranking above number ten, uh, and he has started to break out over the last season or two. Still only twenty six years old, could grow a little bit and become an even better player. Uh, where do you kind of think he might be going here in the next couple uh, seasons? Uh, I see Josh Bell as kind of an upside pick at first base. Uh, you know, we've mentioned there's a lot of guys that are really established, um, but Bell is really one of the younger guys that you can take that looks to be a valuable first baseman in the near future. Um, he's at 26 years old. He's young compared to a lot of the established first basemen. And he started to see more offensive development last year um, compared to his first couple seasons when he struggled just a little bit. Um, but he's a former high-level prospect, which, you know, isn't a guarantee, but it definitely points to a lot of potential. Um, his offensive game is kind of what you'd expect from a first baseman. He walks more frequently than a lot of players, and he doesn't have high strikeout numbers. Um and also, if you look at his overall value, like like war numbers, that's dragged down a lot by his defense, which isn't going to be an impact in an offensive-based scoring system. So for a longer-term first baseman, Bell is one of the better guys you can look at because of his age and his upside. Uh, and one more first baseman I want to talk about, and this is a guy that I actually like a lot. I had him at number uh, six on my list, Matt Olson. Uh, first baseman for the Oakland Athletics. I think he is really good, really promising. 25. Uh, was ranked between 8 and 12 in most scoring systems among the first basemen in the league. Uh, he finished 7th overall in our team rankings. Anthony, you did not have him in your rankings at all. And Griffin, you had him at number 11. I'm really, really curious on your insights uh, to Matt Olson and why you either just see more success for other players coming up or just don't see him continuing the current pace that he's set in the last two seasons. I mean, at least for me, he's literally, he's literally number 13. I mean, 24 years old, 25 to 35 homer power. I mean, that's hard to pass up in a first baseman. But, I mean, I, the only reason it wasn't in the top 12 for me is because I value a guy like Anthony Rizzo a little bit more than most. Looking at the rankings right here, well, he wasn't really – I don't think he was on anybody – or he was on a couple other rankings. But the 100 RBI from Rizzo kind of put me off of Matt Olson, which kind of he, – he's 13, like I said. Max Muncy, I think he's going to step up more so than he did last year. Rudy already talked about Josh Bell. Will Myers, as long as he plays at first base and stays healthy, consistent. Joey Gallo's only going to get better. So, I mean, he was right there for me, but the lack of average and the team context, I think, is a little bit 
underwhelming for me, and that's why I put him at 13 instead of 12. All right, and what about you, Griffin? Uh, well, you know, I think my, my biggest concern with him is just that that was literally his first full year. Like, yeah, he played 162 games. Um, and I just I want to see another full year out of him because uh, we've seen a lot of these uh, these young studs struggle out of the gate uh, after or not out of the gate but uh, rather in year two uh, with people like Trevor Story struggling in year two as well as Bellinger uh, this last year um, and so I, I just I think in order to rank him a little higher I'd have to see just another full year out of him uh, I had him on my team last year. Uh, traded for him later in the season. I had him, both him and Abreu, actually. Um, and, but I just, I think before I rank him above some of these other guys that are ranked, I just want to see another full year out of him and see how he continues to develop. Fair enough. Um, all right, let's take a look over at uh, the second baseman. We. As a team ranked Jose Ramirez, Indians third baseman, who just by coincidence happens to have second base eligibility uh, just because he plays there a couple times a year. I don't know how many games he actually played at second base last year, but it wasn't a ton, if I'm not mistaken. But he still got the first ranking, followed by... uh, Jose Altuve, uh, Ozzy Albies, Javier Baez, Whit Merrifield, and Gleyber Torres. Uh, I know a lot of guys on our team are big fans of Whit Merrifield, including you, Ryan. Uh, I want to hear some of your thoughts on him. Yeah, well, Merrifield to me, um, you know, maybe, maybe just a little bit of bias there as a Royals fan. But to me, he... He's a little bit older than a lot of guys you'll see at second base, but he's still, um, I mean, he did, he did come into the league at age 28, which is very late, but last season he continued his upward offensive trend that he's really seen since coming into the league. And a lot of people are kind of unaware that he led all of the MLB in hits and in stolen bases. So steals, um, they kind of play into the Royals game a little bit in an, in a, excuse me, in a time where a lot of teams are moving away from the stolen base as a way of finding offense, the Royals are really adding speed and making stolen bases a part of their game. So I would say it's fairly, um, you can rely on the fact that Witt is going to run. And he doesn't have a lot of power, but he's a very solid leadoff hitter. I mentioned he led the league in hits last year. He's a pretty patient hitter, so he's going to get on base. He's going to get stolen bases. And um, he's pretty consistent as well. So he's going to be kind of a guy that's in your lineup a lot and constantly racking up value because of that consistency. Um, And 30, you know, once you hit that age, it starts to scare people off, especially with Dynasty. But I think he's got several good years left in him, and he's definitely worth uh, a high pick because I would say he even still has value that he hasn't quite tapped yet. Uh, And Ryan, another guy that I noticed you had significantly lower than most of the rest of our team uh, was Ozzy Albies. You had him number six on your list. Uh, vast majority of the team had him number three or 
I think even a couple of us had him at number two ahead of Altuve. Uh, and finished third overall in our voting. He finished 10th among second basemen last year in a standard scoring system. And he's only 22 years old. He's got nowhere to go but up. Uh, what seemed to miss for him in your eyes? For me, I kind of had... So I had Glaber Torres fifth and Albie sixth. And to me, there's kind of two tiers of guys in my rankings a little bit. So my top four were Ramirez, Altuve, Javier Baez, and Merrifield. And then after that came Torres, Albies, and Yohan Mancata. So for me, those top four guys have shown to a greater extent that they are, <coughs> excuse me, um, that they can play at in an MLB uh, sort of level. And Torres and Albies both saw a lot of success this year, this past in 2018, but my top four guys have had several years uh, where they've more developed and they had more impressive seasons last year. So that's kind of why I had those guys collectively ranked lower. And then I have Albies lower than Torres simply because, you know, they're the same age, but really to me, they're interchangeable. I just put them there because Torres has a little bit more power um, and might hit put up some stronger home run numbers, which is highly beneficial in a lot of leagues. They had the same number of homers last year, but Torres played 30 fewer games than Albies did. So, like I mentioned, they're interchangeable, and Albies may see more playing time, which can contribute more. Um, but just really for that power reason is why I put him lower than Torres. All right, and Ryan mentioned... Uh... Yohan Mankata, when talking about Ozzy Albies there. Uh, Anthony or Griffin, did you guys want to talk about uh, Mankata? I know you guys didn't have him quite as high as some of our other riders did on your rankings. Yeah, I mean, at least for me, the big thing that turned me off of having him top 10, top 8, was the high K rate. I mean, he struck out 217 times in... 2018 which is by far the highest in the in major league baseball and yeah i understand he's only 23 and for dynasties he might be worth it three four years down the line but i can't see valuing that little of offensive production with that high k rate for two or three years before he finally turns it around and winds up being the player that a lot of people think he can be and that's kind of just why i didn't have him really top 10 or top eight just the high K's and then the low walk relative to those K's, it just didn't sit well for me to have him ranked too high. Yeah, I I, I get the uh, why people don't like him. Uh, the 217 strikeouts are definitely a concern. And the 235 batting average is definitely not something to be proud of. Um, but he is only 23. I mean, he's been in professional ball just... Five, or this will be his fifth year. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he continues to adjust. And, I mean, he like just last year he played 80 games at the AAA level and was hitting 282. Obviously that's not um, the major league pitching that he sees now, but I think as he continues to adjust and get, see more and more pitching, he'll uh, – be able to find more of his pitches and strike out less and get on base more and keep getting hits and 
he shows flashes of brilliance and just hot streaks at the plate, but he definitely he he takes a lot of pitches just because his eye is definitely one of his his best traits as a player, um, and that will definitely come to be a very good or a positive for him um, as he continues to develop as a player. But right now, it's kind of hurting him just because he's watching so many pitches that. Sometimes they they're not strikes and they're, he's just not getting the call, um, but he he, he definitely needs to be, just be swinging the bat more, and hopefully as he continues to do that his his fantasy value will rise and uh, as he grows older and kind of gets into his prime he'll kind of hit his ceiling like a lot of people are expecting him to do. Um. All right. Let's move into a third baseman. Uh. To no one's. Surprise, at least in my opinion, Alex Bregman, ranked number one among our group, followed closely behind by Jose Ramirez, Nolan Arenado not far behind that, Chris Bryant, Manny Machado at four and five, followed by a few other guys, a lot of them very young, including uh, Eugenio Suarez, Matt Chapman, Miguel Andujar, Rafael Devers. And another guy I'm... I like a lot, uh, and even as a Cardinals fan who grew up not liking the Red Sox at all, was Rafael Devers. I thought uh, he showed a lot of promise this year. Uh, only 22. Didn't have great ranking in terms of third baseman. Uh, low 20s and uh, high 30s, depending on what kind of league you're in. Uh, and I kind of want to hear some of your guys' thoughts on him. I know, Anthony, you were one of, I think, two guys who didn't have him on your list at all. I had him higher than most. I had him at eight, so I can understand some uh, uh, kind of, I can understand if you guys don't agree with me, and I am curious to hear your opinions on him. I mean, at least for me, he the same thing with, Matt Olson, he's kind of like in that 13, 14 range for me. What kind of put, I, because I had Sano 12 and then basically Devers 13. And what put me Sano a little bit higher is, I, I mean, the home run threshold. And like, because in 114 games in 2017, he had 28 homers. And then we all know about the 2018 fiasco. He had getting sent down to single A. A lot of stuff going on in his head. And he still had 13, still had 13 homers in 71 games, which isn't awful. But the threshold for power is there, and I mean, it might come up for Devers. And after like midway through the season, I'd really like to take a look, come look and compare the two, because those are the two guys I kind of had, like one, like twelve, thirteen, right there. So I mean, if it's okay if I'm wrong, but right now I still think the power threshold, a two sixty five average of Miguel Sano is a little bit better than Devers right now. Uh. Griffin and Ryan, any thoughts on those two guys? I like Devers. I think his uh, potential is definitely uh, going to keep getting higher and higher as he ages. And he's somebody that I know the White Sox targeted in a potential Chris Sale trade. So he was somebody that I was kind of watching for a little bit. And I mean, they're, not all prospects are going to hit always. And it's possible that. He ends up kind of flubbing out, but he's had an interesting path to this point. I think he can, usually you, I think, I think he'll be able to kind of 
figure it out just like Mukata and uh, string together some hits and bring up his average and really get some value there. All right, and let's take a look. Uh, last position, we're going to talk about specifically a few players for today. Uh, we're going to take a look at shortstop, the other position that is probably competing with third base right now. To be the deepest in the major leagues, there are a ton of really good young shortstops right now with the likes of Francisco Lindor, Travis, Trevor Story, uh, Alex Bregman has shortstop eligibility. Carlos Correa on the same team as Bregman. You got Machado, who's a free agent right now. Corey Seager, Trey Turner, Xander Bogarts, and just a ton of guys right now uh, at such a deep position. Um, and Anthony, uh, you had Jose Peraza. Uh, I can't remember at the moment if you had him either unranked or number 11 or 12 on your list. Yeah, he was, uh, he was, he was 10 on my list. Uh, my bad. Um, which actually is a little bit higher than us as a group. Uh, he wound up being number 12 overall in our voting. Uh, just barely edging out Gene Segura on that list. Uh, I want to hear your thoughts on him. Uh, he has shown a lot of promise there with the Reds. But I just don't know that it's there yet. I mean, if we're, we can, he's only 24, so I mean, yeah, I understand. I've been talking a little bit down on the guys like Devers and Moncada, but he kind of falls in that tier a little bit above. Like he has a little bit more talent right now, but the potential, he still has untapped potential, I think. Like he, in 2016, he had 21 stolen bases and only 241 at bats. And hit 324 and 2017, yeah, it was a little bit of a struggle. He still still stole 23 bases, but 2018 definitely had a career year. 14 homers, 23 stolen bases, a full season, 157 games, hit 288. I think he's really a solid leadoff hitter for the Reds, and especially leagues that value runs scored. The additions of guys like Kemp and Puig, who I think are going to blow up this year, but we can talk about that at a different time. His runs scored are going to shoot up, I think. And then also coming off of your 31 doubles, I think the upside's really there. And like I said, he's only 24, so he still has that room to grow. And I think he has 40 steal potential as long as he gets on base enough. Uh, and Griffin, one guy I really want to hear from you about is Tim Anderson. Uh, you were one of two guys who had him in your top 12. Uh, and we have a dynasty league a, with a bunch of writers from Diamond Digest in it. And actually, I have Tim Anderson on my team. So I'm kind of interested to see what you think about him, where you think he's going, and uh, what I can look forward to with that pick because I kind of missed out on one of the top shortstops. Well, if you if you are interested, I'm sure I could uh, strike a deal and take Anderson off your hands. Uh, but <laughs> I think Anderson is truly going to continue to blossom. Uh, he's only... This is going to be his age 26 season, his uh, third professional season at the MLB level. Um, and he's, I mean, he's only getting better. Uh, his average has dipped a little bit, uh, but his, I mean, he's been working on his defense more. And now that his defense has gotten a lot better, I think his average will start to see an improvement. And I think the biggest thing is that the White Sox have let him start to run. 
um, which is not something that he was able to do as much in the first couple of years. But uh, over his first two seasons, he had a total of 25 stolen bases with three caught stealings, and he had 26 in 2018. In addition, uh, he had a total of 26 walks across his first two seasons and had 30 in 2018. Um, and so I, I, his approach to his whole offensive game has really changed. And I, I can definitely see him as a, a ceiling guy, kind of a shortstop version of uh, Whit Merrifield, who Ryan talked about earlier. Uh, just always, he's, not, he's never going to be a huge power guy, um, but he can definitely keep hitting and be a threat in the base paths at all times. Uh, and he's a lot of fun to watch. He's got a lot of energy. Um, and it, it's been fun to watch him kind of grow as a player. And though his defense doesn't really matter in most fantasy leagues, it's definitely good to see him improving. And I think him improving his defense will allow him on offense to uh, really focus on his average again and kind of uh, keep hitting. Yeah, that is certainly something to look forward to on my team. Uh, all right, and let's move into the next section of the podcast here. Uh, every week, uh, we're going to, with the other uh, writers who join me here on the show, we're going to have some useless baseball trivia, and trust me, I know a lot of useless baseball trivia. Uh, usually, it'll be one or two questions. This week, we have two questions for you guys, uh, so I'll read off the question. I'll give each of you a chance to uh, shoot a guess out for it and at the end of the show we will or I will reveal the answers so first question of the week this week was the baseball hall of fame uh, election show and it was announced that Mariano Rivera Mike Messina Edgar Martinez and Roy Halladay were elected to the hall of fame Two of those players, Martinez and Halliday, were elected with the exact same number of votes. This is only the second time that this has happened that two players were elected to the Hall of Fame with the exact same percentage of the vote in the same season. The other time was in the inaugural class of the Hall of Fame in 1936. Name the two players that were inducted with the exact same percentage of the vote. That's tough. <clears throat> I don't know a whole lot of players going all the way back. So, I mean, I'm just going to throw out there. I think it, it might have been Ty Cobb and Babe Ruth. Well, not maybe. Yeah, I'm just going to go with that, even though I'm not really sure about all the players who were inducted in the first class. So, uh, Griffin? I'll go with Honus Wagner and Ty Cobb. And Ryan? I'm kind of in the same boat as Anthony. I guess I'll uh, split the difference between those guys and say Honus Wagner and Babe Ruth. See if I got lucky. <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll find out uh, if any of you are right at the end of the show. And the other question for this week is, what pitcher since the introduction of the Cy Young Award in 1956 has the most war, according to Baseball Reference, but has never won a Cy Young Award. Uh, we'll go Anthony again first. 
that has to be Cy Young, right? Because I know he never won the award itself. Uh, I. It, or was he? Was he not a rat? Was he? The question was what players since the Cy Young Award was introduced in 1956. Okay, I thought the award was around, but the name didn't become Cy. Oh, jeez, this is this uh, is another tough one. Yeah. <laughs> I need to get. I need to work up my uh, useless baseball trivia a little bit. But I'm gonna go uh, with. We'll... Uh, jeez. Ah. Uh, We'll we'll give you a minute to think, Griffin. You got care to yeah. venture a guess? Um, uh, I'm trying to think of any pitchers that would have been that good, but not had a Cy Young. Would it? I mean, is it uh, Messina? Uh, Ryan, care to venture a guess? Uh, I'm not not sure. I really have a guess. I would, if if Musina didn't win an award, I would say that's a pretty safe bet. I do want to take the chance to throw out uh, Kevin Apier's name because he put together some really solid seasons and never quite got there. He won the ERA title once and and all. Anthony, you come up but, with any names yet? Yeah, I think so. I from. What I'm pretty sure I remember talking with my dad a while back and all that. Nolan Ryan never really never won a Cy Young, I don't think, in his career. So I'm I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with that. All right, we will find out at the end of the show if any of you were correct on either question. Uh, so last segment of the show, we are going to answer some questions from people that responded to us on Twitter. Uh, we received a question from Jim Pisson. I'm sorry if I pronounced your name wrong. And if you're listening to this, uh, he said, what should a person do with Byron Buxton in a dynasty league? He's asking for a friend. <laughs> uh, Byron Buxton played 28 games in 2018. He had zero fantasy points, or if he did have any fantasy points, they were Effectively negligible. Uh, he's 25 years old. Has been a quote-unquote top prospect since he was probably, I don't know, it seems like forever now. Uh, honestly, I at this point, I think your best option might be to just cut him and accept your losses. What do you guys think? Yeah, I've o- I owned a share of Byron Buxton ever since he was a top prospect. And two years ago, I pulled the trigger and just let him go. I'm staying as far away from that name as humanly possible. And I'll, if he somehow turns it around and becomes a 330 steal, 25 homer guy like everybody thinks he, thinks he was going to be, so be it. But I, I'm never, I don't think I'm ever going to touch Byron Buxton in a fantasy league again. Griffin, I think he still has some potential there. Sorry to to cut in there, but I think he still has some potential there. Um, he, you know, he, it's not like, I mean, his, his best seasons definitely could have been a little fluky maybe, but he had some very solid production there and he was also, uh, an excellent defender, which isn't going to be 
something that contributes points in a fantasy league, but it might be something that keeps him in a major league lineup, which might give him the chance to accrue some value in the future. So I don't think he's necessarily a guy that you should by no means ever mess with, but I think he definitely should, if you're looking to pick up Byron Buxton, it should be a late round kind of lottery ticket acquisition. Uh, honestly, the way I've started to see Buxton is the same way I kind of see Jabari Blash. Uh, he is phenomenal in AAA. I've gone to see him a couple times here in Rochester where the Twins have their AAA team. Plays awesome every time I go see a game. Then he goes up to the major leagues and he can't do anything. And it just seems like Jabari Blash is the same kind of way. Uh, I think I heard a term referring to those guys a couple weeks ago called quadruple A. Where they just they can they crush the ball in AAA and can't do a thing in majors, uh, and I think another guy that kind of falls in that same question is and we talked about him earlier is Miguel Sano. Uh, any thoughts I'm, there? I'm gonna have to disagree with you on that. I mean, last year in a, like I mean this season it was all sorts of mental stuff and a bunch of coaches trying to mess with his swing. But 2017, you can't ignore the 265 average, 28 homers, somewhere around 75 RBIs. And what back what then was a really weak Twins lineup. And I think the Twins are an even better team now. So as long as he has his mind right and gets back to that 2017 form, I think he can shoot upwards of 100 RBIs and upwards of 30 homers like he did in 2017. Mm-hmm. Both of those guys, um, well, and both of those guys, both Sano and Buxton, um, they're just 25, so especially in a dynasty league, it could be someone that really gets consideration for, um, like I mentioned, a lottery ticket, someone that has seen success in the past, you know they're capable of it, so it, it doesn't necessarily hurt to pick them up if they're out there late rounds. Sano is interesting because I definitely, I, I follow both of them uh, being in, a White Sox fan and in the division with the Twins. Um, but, Sano, I mean, Sano had that big thing where he got sent to uh, single A randomly and nobody knew what was happening. And I want to believe that both him and Buxton could come back and possibly be something, but I think, I, I would ra- I think I'd rather trust Buxton because I think there are better options for you uh, at third base. And I'm like, even with his, with him coming, with Snow coming back up from uh, the minors, he, I mean, in the second half, he hit a uh, buck 95 and just struck out 50 times and just did not seem like he had anything at the plate. Yeah, he had a good 2017, but I'm not sure if uh, it's something he can come back to. So. All right, and question number two uh, from Twitter is from the Fantasy Fam. He asks about Alberto Mondesi. Eight Alberto Mondesi, sorry. Uh, There's a typo here. Uh, And asks if if he is going to finish top five in shortstops for 2019 and potentially top 30 overall. Uh, As our resident Royals writer and fan, I'm going to leave this one to you, Ryan. Yeah, so 
I love Mondesi, and that's probably the general sentiment that you're going to get in the uh, around Kansas City. But to call him at this point top five at shortstop, which is one of the deepest positions, or top 30 overall, <clears throat> is very presumptu- presumptuous given you know a small sample size. Mondesi got some some uh, some sense of the majors uh, a couple times starting in 2015 uh, like he was on the World Series lineup in 2015 and he sort of was up and down for a while and then finally this past season in 2018 he started to showcase the talents that really made him an upper level prospect in the Royal system um, and even as I mentioned he's been around for a few years he's only 23 years old right now which has a lot of value in the dynasty league if he continues the pace that he kind of set in 2018. He played only 25 or only 75 games in 2018 and still got about three war, which is on pace for over six war in a full season. Um, and, you know, some a lot of that's defensive. He's a solid defensive player, but he has a lot of offensive upside that he demonstrated. Um, and in a league where a lot of points come from homers and stolen bases, Mondesi is one of few guys that can really contribute both. He really started to develop his power last year, and he speed is a, a top skill for him. As I mentioned before, talking about Merrifield, the Royals like to run. They're going to incorporate that as a large part of their game. And at this point, Mondesi is projected by Steamer, which is supposed to be kind of conservative for 23 homers and 45 steals, which is pretty pretty wild. So he could really put up big numbers in those categories and provide a lot of value there. Um, the only thing really is Mondesi is a guy with high strikeout rate and low walk rate historically, and the Royals are a little bit notorious for a non-conservative hitting approach where they kind of swing a lot. You know, you look at a guy like Salvador Perez who has this highest, I think the highest outside swing, outside the zone swing percentage in the majors. So that doesn't seem like it's something that'll be phased out of his game, which might be a point of concern for the future. But as long as Mondesi gets on base, he'll run. And the other part of it is he looks to be playing very regularly in Kansas City, where we recently saw LCD's Escobar play every day for three years. So if they have a really talented shortstop, Montessi will see a lot of playing time and could be very good. But to call him top five at a shortstop or top 30 in the majors is pretty presumptuous for me. All right. And our last question was from at Jazz Harlem. He asked asks Voigt versus Bird, what is your prediction? So my stance on this, and I've been saying this for a while now, I don't trust Luke Voigt. And that is coming from somebody who has been a diehard Cardinals fan his whole life. I watched Luke Voigt come up. I He is from St. Louis. I have nothing but love for him. But I've seen him come up into the majors, get on some ridiculous hot streak, and then after a couple weeks, a couple months, he always comes back down to earth when everybody figures out, throw him a curveball, and he won't hit a thing. Uh, As for Greg Bird, I'm just not sure if he's ever going to amount to too much. Uh, he's going into his age 26 season. Uh, last year, in 80, he played 82 games, finished 60 in the mid-60s. 
out of all first basemen, it just doesn't seem to be coming together for him. Uh, any thoughts on him or either of those guys? I think if you're picking one, you want to go with uh, Andoar, who might be the most time at first base for the Yankees this year. Uh yeah, I agree. Um, I've honestly been saying either Andujar or uh, Glaber Torres might make a move over to first base, especially after that DJ LeMahieu signing. I think uh, while Glaber is, he's not bad by any measure that I've seen so far on defense. Uh, he does have a good build for playing over at first base. Well, or what is he? I believe he's 6'2", 6'3", somewhere in there. Uh, fairly mobile. I think he could fare well over at first base as well as in Duhar. I mean, I definitely think if we're going to pick, barring all those guys stay at their normal positions, put that in quotes, I, th- I still think I'd go with Void over Bird just because Bird has been really, really bad. And Void has shown some signs of success. But I'm definitely, I'm definitely not trusting either of them in a full season. I mean, Void still has yet to play a full season. I mean, I know he's only been up for two years, but he still only has 285 player appearances in his career. So I'm not, yeah, I'm not trusting either of them. But right now, based on the last couple weeks of the season, I'm not really going. Not, I can't get on the board with Greg Bird. So if I had to pick between the two, I'm going with Void. But I'm really hoping that either Andujar or Torres really makes that transition over to first base. Uh, So now we move into wrapping up the show. Uh, As for our two trivia questions, question one, uh, what two players besides Martinez and Halliday had the same, uh, were inducted to the Hall of Fame with the same percentage of the vote? Ryan, you were correct. It was Babe Ruth and Honus Wagner. And Awesome. Uh, I did indeed get lucky. <laughs> <laughs> and as for the most B-War by a pitcher since 1956 without winning a Cy Young. Uh, Anthony, you had a great guess with Nolan Ryan, but he is actually number three on the list. Number two is Burt Blood. Lie Levin, I'm sorry, I can never say his name. Okay. And number one is Phil Necro. Okay, yeah, Phil Necro. Uh, Phil Necro. Too many bad Honest, movies. Honestly, I had a hard time none of those guys ever won a Cy Young. It's very, Cy Young's a very odd award, in my opinion. Right, and to Necro and Levin's uh, credit for the first few years of the Cy Young, it was not given out to one AL player and one NL player. It was given out to one player throughout the league. All right. Well, that'll be it for our podcast today. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. From all of us here at Diamond Digest, we hope you have a great day, and we will see you next time on the Diamond Digest Fantasy Podcast.